1: With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson.
0: Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Matthew Hoffman of the Living Seed Company to talk about his experience with seeds and seed saving. Matthew and his wife Astrid co-founded the Living Seed Company, an organic heirloom seed company serving the greater Bay Area, dedicated to planting the seeds of world peace through supporting the act of families, friends, and communities growing food together. The Living Seed Company preserves the diversity in our food through the distribution and growing of open-pollinated seeds and educating about life-affirming art of seed saving. Matthew and Astrid live and farm happily in Point Reyes Station, California. Welcome to the show today, Matthew.
2: Thanks, Greg. Great to be here.
0: Absolutely. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we started the Living Seed Company about five years ago, and uh, I had been, for the previous 10 years, actually a giant puppeteer uh, working a lot around environmental uh, issues. I worked a lot with uh, Dr. Jane Goodall. Oh, wow. And yeah, she influenced me in many different ways growing up, and at in the time we worked together, I worked with her, her youth group, Roots and Shoots, and oh, nice. we did a lot of different projects and, and I had lived in Tanzania for a while and, you know community gardens and school garden programs and was really inspired about how food brought people together in these really beautiful ways. And kind of looking for a transition. My wife and I were uh, dating at the time, but I was, we were looking forward to the future, and although it was a great lifestyle, it, it maybe left a little bit uh, but, uh, financially uh, to be desired. So. Was looking at the next evolution of uh, of my life uh-huh. and uh was uh, been an avid gardener my entire life and grew up in very rural northern Wisconsin mm. uh where gardening was just a thing everybody did and I right. grew up in you know, my parents, my grandparents, my my aunt and uncle's gardens all the time. So feeling that deep kinship and something that I was really, you know, passionate about, uh started looking at what avenue uh I could take. Uh, that would keep me connected to gardening and farming. And seeds just kept coming up for me over Mm, and over
3: and just uh felt
2: really constantly inspired to learn more about seeds. And up until that point, I hadn't really thought about it that much. I'd planted thousands, tens of thousands of seeds in my life, but had never really pondered where did they come from? How did I get them in this packet? uh, And started doing more research around that and pretty much had the idea like, hey, I think I want to start a, a seed company uh-huh. and was researching online and saw this man, Bill McDormand, speaking at the Ecology Center in Berkeley.
0: Oh, a couple nice. Days later. Like, uh-huh.
2: that sounds great. That's a perfect.
0: Hold on. Did you say a couple days later? Yeah. Whoa. Okay, that's the universe knocking, right?
2: Yeah, for sure. Uh, it was like I pretty much had this idea and like the next day I found Bill online. Wow. So I had no real idea how to even go about that. And I had no real, I just knew Bill was speaking about seeds. So I went to go see him and immediately just loved his passion, his humor, his depth of knowledge, just his inspiration that he had. And I was like, wow, this guy, could I think he could be my teacher. Yeah. And um, even throughout my life, I've kind of always had a tough time with some teachers, a lot of teachers. But this guy was just like, <laughs> I, I worked with him. And at the end of his talk, he was like, and I, I'm going to be hosting my first ever seed school coming up. Oh, nice. um, it'll be a week-long intensive uh, in-depth into the world of seeds. And at the end of it, uh, I'll teach you how to start your own seed company if that's what you want to do. And I was like, wow, that, that, that's alignment. So were, were, you like,
0: uh, were you like, how quickly can I get in?
2: Yeah, basically. I yeah. was like, Yeah, I couldn't make it for the first one. I had some scheduling conflict, but the second one, yeah, basically I called Bill's wife, Bell, and I was like, I'll do whatever it takes to come to seed school. So, in a few months I was at seed school, and a few months later, we launched the
0: Living Seed Company website. Fantastic. Just as a side note, I did uh, the seed school with Bill and Bell in Tucson, and it was like the, I don't know, the fourth or the fifth time they did it. Uh, in 2011 um, mm-hmm. and really back in 2011 it was like all right how can i get this stuff online so through urban farm you that's our educational arm of of uh, my company here through urban farm you we offer seed school online so people can actually oh, wonderful yeah people can actually get the seed school or pieces of the seed school that you took in the ground for a week online mm-hmm. so excellent yeah
2: we yeah. love it. Yeah, we do, we, we do a lot of education in the, in the Bay Area around seed saving. Fantastic. It's kind of one of the, the main missions of our Sweet. Our company. Sweet.
0: Yeah. So while we're at this moment, tell us how people can get a hold of you if they're in the Bay Area and they want to learn seeds.
2: Well, you can go to our website, livingseedcompany.com. Uh-huh. Um, also, my email is matthew at livingseedcompany.com. And there's a newsletter sign up, so if people sign up for a newsletter, they'll be given the uh, dates of when we'll be doing nice. any uh, education, education Fan-
0: activities. Yeah, fantastic. All right, cool. So let's just dive into seeds.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And yeah. so
0: my first, and I got questions here. I may have other ones for you. How do seeds from different sources differ? What I mean, how do we even know to where to start on that?
2: That's a very big question. So. I kind of like to break it down, like, knowing, like, a lot of things with the farmer's markets these days and and, uh, farm-to-table is, like, knowing your farmer, knowing where your food is coming from. I feel that applies as well to seeds, um, knowing, you know, who's farming your seeds or who's providing your seeds. Right. You know, there's even organic seeds now that are coming from China, from India, and the the quality is quite questionable.
3: Mm hmm
2: And, um, you know... A lot of those seeds are going to, you know, big box stores, and, and you know, a lot, a lot of hardware stores are carrying these seeds that are, you know, produced in mass, mass quantities. We'd like to consider ourselves more of an artisanal uh, company where we're working with small farmers that we know that Bill has introduced us to, or uh-huh. we found along the way, mm-hmm. who are really taking the time to do smaller, very uh, curated batches of seeds. So. Like, for instance, like a large producer of say an organic carrot seed, they're growing a huge field of carrots and they're you know harvesting pretty much all the seed at the end uh, A smaller producer is gonna walk his field, he's gonna pick mm. carrots he's gonna taste them right and if it doesn't pass the taste test you know it it it's the uh, Soup pot or something like that, and if it makes the seeds, as that root goes back in the ground, and that is allowed to
3: uh, go to seed. Right.
2: So there's, you know, the the constant selection as as seed farmers and seed stewards that we have to do is like all these different levels of awareness. So there's taste, there's vigor, there's so many different aspects of like selection. So working with people who are, you know, really paying attention to the more nuanced aspects uh, of seed production um, is what we're trying to do. So.
0: So it's really like you're not growing the plants for the f- vegetables. You're growing them for the seeds. It's a different a, a different game, then I guess. Yes,
2: mostly. Um, some we do a bit of both, like tomatoes and uh-huh. like peppers. So when I'm saving tomato seeds, yeah. there's still a lot of flesh that you get left over. Oh yes, and so I'm always making pasta sauce or salsa or you know canning, doing something to right. use up. And then also the same with the the chili peppers. I'm always making hot sauces and and stuff like that. Um, And also, like with squash and some other things, we we have relationships with chefs in the area who are uh, supportive of us. We'll sell them the squash and give them a five-gallon bucket and say, put the seeds in here.
0: Oh, nice. And then we'll
2: come back and pick up the seeds. And, you know, so it works great for us. We get paid for the the actual vegetable and then we also still get to collect the seeds right so that's a that's a nice little uh, uh, no bonus knowing, knowing some chefs
0: yeah yeah exactly plus they do all kinds of cool things with uh, the what you take them
2: yes yeah and it's always uh, like a total treat to like see what you know they turn into in the
0: end so. oh yeah well I, I, you know what there's nothing better i i grow peaches here in phoenix and a few years ago i took a box of peaches into one of our local chefs and then i went back that evening for dinner yes i did there's nothing better than i agree you know delivering hot fresh peaches they're hot because they've been in the you know in the nice warm sun and yep. you know you go back 4 hours later and you're eating peach cobbler for dessert that's just like there's nothing better than that yeah love it so how does one grow and save seeds is that, what's the process like on that
2: yeah so there's there's different techniques for for different types uh, there's two main kind of categories there's wet processing and then there's dry processing and in uh-huh. the, the wet processing things like tomatoes um, there's actually a fermentation process involved. Oh yeah uh-huh. um, There's a gelatinous sac that's around the tomato seed And mm-hmm. that needs to ideally Be um, taken off And also there are some um, Health benefits for the seed too When the fermentation happens You kind of think of like a probiotic uh, There is like, you know, microflora On the seed coat that actually you know Will help in the initial germination And, and the initial uh, plant health um, So that's something That's added to it and also some uh-huh. diseases
0: so with tomatoes, you're actually fermenting them?
2: Yep, and and uh, cucumbers as well. They have the same kind oh, of similar gelatinous sap right. around it. So, uh-huh. uh, that process will remove it over time. It's about a three- or four-day process. So, like with the tomatoes, there's a beneficial mold that forms on the top, and once that forms, you know the fermentation has gone uh, through its full process, and right. then it's just a matter of stirring it up. The good seeds are going to sink. The bad seeds uh, will float. Most yeah. of the, the flesh and everything is going to float, mm-hmm. and then... Pour that off and do a few changes of water until the seeds are clean. And then you dry them for about a week until the seeds snap. That's like the real way to tell when the seeds are dry enough to go into storage is if you take them between your fingernails and they snap instead of bend. You know, oh, you
0: know. wow. Okay, I didn't know that. Oh, That's cool.
2: Yeah. called the snap test.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah
3: cool.
2: And then for uh, other like dry seeds, beans, peas. Carrots. Uh, carrots. Those you're going to wait until they're pretty much fully matured on the plant, mm-hmm. uh, dry down as far as possible. You know, if it's in, in the in a time of year when you might be expecting some rain and the seeds are almost dry, we recommend you know, pulling them in and putting them under a tarp or in a place where they can finish drying. Because once they're almost dry, and if they get wet, that can lead yeah. to damaging the seeds and different things like that. And say like a pea or a bean. Uh, to know or corn something large if you, it's called the hammer test and if you hit it with a hammer and it shatters Uh, instead of smushes then you know you it's dry dry. orange, yeah and like the easier things to save would be things that are perfect flowers or have a perfect flower so those are going to have the male and female reproductive parts in the same flower and they self-pollinate so there's less chance of cross-pollination
0: oh uh, right like what?
2: So beans,
0: mm-hmm. peas,
2: tomatoes, peppers, lettuce, those are going to be ones that are going to be less likely. Uh, bees still will transfer some pollen, and mm-hmm. it also depends on your local pollinators. so that's another aspect of seed saving is knowing who is out there pollinating and what they're going after. Right. Um, some bean flowers are more appealing to bees than others, so you kinda, oh, if you're kind yeah. of throwing beans to each other. You might want to be aware of that. Uh, as a backyard gardener and uh-huh. backyard seed giver, you don't have to be as concerned. As a seed company, we mm-hmm. really have to make sure that we're not getting cross-pollination because we want right. to ensure our customers are getting what they expect. In the backyard, if you get, you know, some um, cross-pollination, it you can always eat your mistakes. <laughs>
0: uh,
2: something the
3: next <laughs> year doesn't
2: look like it was. You might have discovered something new and, and beautiful, and,
0: right.
3: uh,
2: you know, that's how all of our amazing varieties came about was through a lot of accidents. I mean, there is also detailed conscious breeding where people are trying to create something specifically, but a lot of what we have is, you know, happy accidents.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's great. So what are easy vegetables to save seeds from? Like, if you were going to pick one or two.
2: One or two. I like recommending, like, peas or beans.
0: All right, Um, Uh uh-huh.
2: Yep, they're just, you know, the one thing you got to be aware of is it's going to take longer. You're going to have that plant in your garden pot longer than you normally would because uh-huh. you're letting it dry all the way down. So you could either like with beans, you could save the seeds of a of a bean that's typically used as a snap bean,
3: uh-huh.
2: or you could also you know do beans that are typically used dry. And there are some varieties that have uh, both really good green beans and good dry beans as well right. so I, I like to do those myself another easy one is, is tomatoes uh, oh yeah I, mean, I described the the, the yeah. fermentation process it's not that complicated it's a pretty straightforward deal and also the the flowers tend not to be very attractive to most pollinators so the chances of crossing with another tomato
0: are mm, less likely as well. right so
2: and also lettuce can be kind of fun, too. It's like your dainty little lettuce plant turns into this tall, like flowering stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, we've got a lot and, uh, of those in the urban farm right now. That It's that time yeah, of year. So, so.
2: Yeah, and it's easy. Oh, and cilantro, obviously. Any gardener is going to know that one. It's it, it wants to go to seed as quickly as possible. Yeah, and, I know. Uh, it's, it's, once you buy a packet of cilantro, you should have cilantro seeds for the Forever. rest of your life. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah,
0: exactly. So, how do organic seeds differ from non-organic seeds? And I, I, oh. I'm, I'm assuming that we're talking about uh, certified organic seeds grown organically, yes? Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I mean, th- there's, we we have some varieties that aren't certified organic that we grew organically on a non-certified plot, and there's also some rare stuff out there that, you know, if we know who we're getting it from, and we, we trust that they're... You know growing it organically they 're just not certified because it is a process, and it is money, and not everybody's doing it to that level mm-hmm. the, the main thing though in, in seeds that are grown either certified organic or organically is that they have been developed specifically to thrive in an organic um,
0: oh, right. environment
2: yeah. wi- without pesticides without herbicides they're they 're developed to stand on their own where a lot of commercially produced seeds that are being used in standard kind of, you know, chemical agriculture, they don't have to meet the same rigors because they're being supported by, you know, lack of competition, whether it be other plants or or insects. Uh So I think that's one of the big things that maybe a lot of people don't understand is like, if you're going to be an organic gardener, you do want to make sure you're getting seeds that... Uh, were grown for that specific endeavor because it definitely takes a little bit more for 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 those you know organic varieties to to thrive and, and to have defense against say aphids or what, whatever right. you know you have in your garden and uh, and a lot of the seed breeders they'll select like a okay in organic gardening this is kale aphids like let's select kale that is re- really resistant to aphid damage. Or, oh, interesting. And, and, yeah, so, or, like, a blight or, you know, a, a disease. Uh-huh. Whatever, you know, is seems to be a, a constant kind of problem with that variety, uh, how do we select uh, as seed breeders to optimize its potential for, you know, a long, happy life?
0: Well, now, and I'd always heard, because there's, there's not a lot of varieties of orga- certified organic seeds out there. Is there?
2: Not a lot. There's more all the time, and you know there's some great seed producers mm-hmm. and breeders who are now you know really looking at what is the next wave of you know uh, either improving old heirloom varieties uh-huh. or creating varieties the genetics uh, of the heirlooms and you know specifically breeding them for that um, and you know a lot of the the old heirlooms originally were you know grown organically was, right you know a lot of the heirlooms come before yeah. the time of the green revolution where chemicals were more uh, prevalent in, in not only just large agriculture but you know now right backyard gardening people are you know spraying and all this stuff so yeah and that's one thing we're trying to improve on and, and increase it, are the varieties that are available um organic
0: now when we say organic you mean certified organic right i do yeah. Yeah. So, um, in in theory, you could actually get some non organic seeds, grow them out a couple of seasons, and then for your own use, you know that they're organic seeds.
3: Yes. Yep.
0: And is that something? Exactly. You, is that something that you suggest for people to do?
2: Yeah. If it's something they can't find and they want to have their you know own organic seed, definitely. And and we do that too. We find stuff that we really like that, you know, we want to grow it out organically. So I think it is a big you know benefit uh, to the world when you start to do that. It's
0: yeah. a it's a really beautiful thing. Yeah. Alright, so I'm gonna ask you kind of a, one of those questions that has maybe a little bit of energy behind it for some people and it includes GMO seeds. So Matthew, can you kind of distinguish the difference between open pollinated and heirloom seeds, hybrid and GMO seeds?
2: Yes, definitely. So open pollinated seeds Uh, which includes heirlooms, all heirlooms are Uh open-pollinated, is um, that if you control pollination properly and harvest the seeds, you will have offspring that are like the parents. So heirlooms is a specific kind of general term for older varieties that have been handed down in a family or in a community or a region, Uh, and all those are going to be open-pollinated, which means... You can save the seed and Uh plant it the next year, and you're going to get what you expect. In hybrids, they're um, two very distinct parental lines, normally very inbred, Mm -hmm. and like, say, a tomato, and in and of themselves, they might not be that great, but when you take these two lines and you cross them back together, you'll have something uh, of value, whether it's disease resistance or a super early tomato or a seedless um, watermelon or a seedless watermelon. Yeah. Exactly. And tasteless watermelon. Ah. Um, sorry.
0: That's okay. <laughs> yeah.
2: And, and if you take the seeds from say the tomato uh, and plant, say you have a thousand seeds uh-huh. and you plant out a thousand plants, you're going to get 800, 900 different things going on. Some of the seeds might not grow. Got it. Others are going to be all over the place. Some, of them will look like the parents. Some of them will have, you know, different characteristics. So, there is, there are people who go out and uh, called stabilizing hybrids. Well, uh-huh. They'll, over maybe eight years, select uh, and try to uh, stabilize it so it becomes open pollinated and you can save the seed from it. Right. But typically, uh, hybrids are being produced by uh, larger companies that have, you know, a, a lot of research money and they're you know trying to make a profit off of it right uh, not to say that it's bad necessarily mm-hmm. but i like the fact that people can have the power of the seeds in their own hands and, yeah. and save the seeds if they if they'd like to i mean some hybrids do have a place if if you do have a disease in your area and you uh-huh. really want to grow something that you know you can't grow because of a disease and there's a hybrid out there that is resistant that's mm-hmm. a great place for a hybrid
0: for sure oh, perfect
2: uh, and then there's GMOs, which yeah. is a completely different animal, and that is uh, injecting the cells of another plant or species, even viruses, bacterias, uh, animals, into the plant cell wall itself. It's a very kind of disruptive uh, technology. Uh-huh. You know, the effects of it, long-term health for people eating this hasn't really been studied right. at all. So they've been out about...
0: Uh, 25 years or so at this point.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's just uh, there's no real long-term data, and it is something that humans have never really dealt with. So it's kind of a curious thing that it's being promoted as this uh, kind of save the world, feed the world idea when Mm -hmm. it's in the hands of very powerful, rich companies who are just trying to make, obviously, profits. Right. You know, the one thing is people as home gardeners aren't going to have to worry about getting GMO seeds they're not for sale in a garden store right. it's basically you have to sign a contract to get them um but there is now you know the potential of genetic drift where pollen from say a, a gmo cornfield mm-hmm. could be drifting into another farmer who's growing organic corn seed right and you know that's a big thing we face now we're fortunate we're in a gmo free county
0: um oh, whoa, 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 whoa. what area and, yeah so really Yes, Dude, yeah. Me. Marin
2: County, Marine County, I believe it was the second county in the country uh-huh. um, that went GMO-free. So we're fortunate to have oh, you nice. know, access to a very clean environment when it comes to seed production, especially right. for those things that are wind pollinated, like corn and beans. Right. Um, and those are the two big ones, uh, as far as like vegetables go, that have the potential for genetic drift because the pollen is very fine and it can. Float in the wind for right. miles. Exactly.
0: Interesting. So, upshot of all this, I think the new
2: interest and understanding that people are starting to develop around seeds and open-pollinated seeds specifically, and uh-huh. seed saving. I think there is kind of a universal appeal to food being understood, and mm. I think it, it's a common unification point for families for communities uh, for cultures
3: yeah. and
2: even nations and um i believe it's in just so many levels of like sharing good food people inherently have this understanding and they don't really want it messed with
0: <laughs> how cool and, is that
2: yeah it's a really beautiful thing and yeah. you know even some of my more conservative side of the family in, in rural wisconsin they get what good food is and they don't want you know these huge companies like messing up mm. people's it's just yeah. a very obvious like unifying kind of idea right so we we feel really privileged and blessed to have a company that's providing some of the best seeds in in, in the world uh you know to encourage that continuing endeavor of humans sharing food together and bearing seeds together. And, you know, you look at human culture as we know it now, it goes back to seed saving about 10, well, 14,000 years ago when humans started to consciously select seeds. And in 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 that process ended up moving from hunter-gatherer to settling down, farming, having villages, Mm -hmm. having more time for music and art and uh, writing and all of these, these things that we consider very human. A lot of it came after people started saving seeds.
0: So, Matthew, you and Astrid started a seed company out of uh, your seed school class that you took. Tell us about it.
2: So, our first year, we we offered uh, a collection of seeds. We were trying to keep it uh, low-hanging fruit, something that we could feel like we could accomplish. So, we created a a collection of seeds that were widely adapted, things that we really uh, liked, had grown before, Uh Um, things that would do good in a lot of different climates and that was called Our Founders Collections. It was the first thing we had.
0: Oh, nice. And, um,
2: and then the second year we added some new collections. We added a uh, northern collection for the north and a southern collection for more of a yeah. you know, long, hotter climates mm-hmm. uh, like you guys. And, uh, and then we also created an urban collection, varieties that were specifically chosen to do well in urban situations. Wow. Uh, you know, where you're going to have you know, maybe more shade, uh-huh. uh, less access to maybe directly in the ground, things that are going to do well in containers and pots, uh, things that trellis so you can, like, you, you know, maximize space. Mm-hmm. So and with the addition of those collections, we really saw a pretty dramatic increase in in sales and people, um, you know, finding out about us and, and really liking what we were doing. We also include, included seed-saving booklets to teach people how to, you know, save the oh, seeds perfect. from their, right. their gardens. Really important. Uh, actually written by Bill, you yeah. know.
0: Oh, yeah. and,
2: uh, and then the following year we started to do individual packets and now we have both uh, our collections we also added a pizza and a salsa collection a culinary oh, nice. herb collection nice
0: uh,
2: just kind of a one stop shop especially to help people who might be gardening for the first time or people who just want to have an easy you know gift to give to a gardening friend or family mm-hmm. member uh, and then we have all of our individual packets online and every year we're, we're adding new varieties we don't offer you know a lot of seed companies are like we have 600 varieties or whatever we you know we're maybe 150 200 varieties we're really Uh slowly selecting the things that we're offering to make sure we're offering the best seed we can and and the best varieties we can for our customers
0: now are you growing out these seeds
2: uh we grow some of them uh and then we coordinate with other farmers Um, oh
0: nice
2: yeah it's Running a company and farming are both <laughs> a little more than full-time jobs, so we're always a little stretched. So, yeah. trying to find that balance, I prefer to be in the field growing seeds, but I often spend a lot of time in front of my computer or packing seeds and shipping and all of that. All, all the stuff, uh, yeah. So we do grow some ourselves, and then we have a, a great uh, group of farmers that we
0: work with. Nice, so. nice. So, where can our listeners get your seeds? Yes, yeah,
2: so we are living seed company.com and yeah we have a real nice new online catalog that we just set up this winter and we're also in a few stores around the san francisco bay area as
0: nice. well cool, yeah. fantastic so i'm going to shift on you a little bit and i would like to know at time that you failed how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it yes
2: let's see my first year seed farming i was actually growing two of uh Bill's favorite tomatoes, uh, a Galena tomato and a Sasha's Altai, both oh, are yes. from Siberia, yep. when he went behind the Iron Curtain in the late 80s and smuggled tomato seeds out. Right. And I was growing these varieties. I was very excited about them. And I was in my uh, seed gardens and just watching, like I was speaking about earlier, watching the pollinators. And I thought I had enough space between the two <laughs> types of tomatoes, uh-huh. and this big bumblebee comes flying in, and sure enough, goes over to the Galena flowers, and it's like buzzing all in, and then uh, flies all the way over to the Sasha's and starts going after the nectar and pollen of the tomato flowers.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And basically, just ruined my entire seed production for that year. Got it. Um, just. Not knowing, you know, if there was a cross going to happen, right? And just one of those things, you know, it was my first year and didn't really know the pollinators in that spot. Uh, now I know there's bumblebees that like uh, tomatoes flowers f- there, and yeah. it also depends, you know, for here it's a very specific thing. We don't have rain in the you know, summer, and there's what's called a dearth, where there's not a lot of pollen and, and nectar for the bees. Both honeybees and, oh, and uh, right. wild bees, mm-hmm. and so they start to be a little more indiscriminate. You know, uh, tomato flower is not the most appealing, but if there's not a lot, lot around,
0: they're going to come for those. Go for it, yeah,
2: yeah. So also being you know aware of like how the time of year and weather affects what the pollinators are right. going to go for. Yeah, exactly. So that was a kind of a big bummer for me, but I also learned a lot, and it it definitely enriched my you know, understanding and need to be more attentive to some things.
0: Yeah. Now have you yeah. tried, cause tomatoes can be caged, right? You could actually put a cage around them because tomatoes are self fertile, right? Yes. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yep. And then a lot of people also do, uh, they make these little, uh, blossom bags. You can just, if you're just want to save,
0: mm. you know,
2: a few fruits, you don't necessarily need to save all of them. You can use these little bags and you put them on the blossoms before they open. And then that ensures like nothing. to
0: oh, Perfect.
2: Yeah, especially if you're in, like say in a smaller backyard, uh-huh. and you don't have a lot of space for your tomatoes, they're growing up you know right next to each other. You can then uh, just put uh, bags on the blossoms.
3: Hmm. Uh,
2: yeah, hmm. and then after you know they bloom, then you take it off, and then the tomato will grow, and you don't have to worry about any cross pollination. Perfect. You and can really- u- use those for beans or peas. Right. And, yeah. Yeah.
0: Wow. Cool. So, what do you consider your biggest success?
2: think when i start to brag a bit i I talk about uh the watermelons that i grow
0: oh tell Um, me i love watermelons uh,
2: and one of the things talking to the the customer base in the san francisco bay area Mm -hmm. we're coastal pacific it's cool summers and it's difficult a difficult climate for watermelons and Mm -hmm. gardener after gardener after gardener is like no i've never had success with Watermelons, never a success with watermelons, over and over and over. And I was like, I am going to find <laughs> some watermelons that will do good in a cool summer climate. Right. And so over the past six years, I've been growing out um, watermelons, and I've got four varieties that I really like oh, for nice. the cool weather, and I've had people have success. And right. So, And they're absolutely delicious to you. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that the watermelons that, that we carry are – are some of my biggest success stories.
0: Bonus. So, what drives you? What's your big why?
2: I believe that the connection that people can have with food and each other is such a fundamental part of a peaceful possibility of a world. Uh-huh. Jane Goodall, she has a book that came out a few years ago called Harvest for Hope.
3: Mm-hmm. And in there,
2: she hypothesizes that like one of the greatest. Things that will lead towards peace in the world is people and small community food production, and mm. it's it's good for the physical body. It's good for the psychology of a person. Yeah. It's it's good for social and community connection.
3: Yeah.
2: and it's also less taxing on resources, whether it's fossil fuel or water or um, you know just the energy it takes to transport things. Right. And, and that th- this process and uh, of people growing food together is so beneficial on so many levels that it, it kind of just has this really unquestionable inherent goodness to it. Yeah. And and I think that's that's what gets me excited is wow. just bringing people together around good food and just letting <laughs>
0: the
2: you know, miracle happen. Nice. So. Yeah.
0: I'm all about education and I have to know, is there one book that has been influential for you in your seed saving life?
2: I really love uh carol depp's the resilient gardener
3: oh,
0: yes.
2: um, she focuses on kind of five main foods that are most uh you know beneficial for humans as far as like really producing calories uh-huh. and nutrition uh, but all of her books are great she also has how to uh, breed your own vegetable varieties
0: mm-hmm. she's just
2: a really great author when it comes to seeds and i found yeah. some of her writings to be very accessible to people so.
0: fantastic so, what one final piece of advice you have for our listeners?
2: If you're gonna save seeds, take notes,
0: and,
3: um, <laughs> <Yep>.
2: <laughs> and and have fun, and don't you know overthink it. Just in, enjoy the process. Don't be too stressed out about it. Just jump in, start it's contagious you'll learn more as you go and like I said before you can always eat your mistakes yeah,
0: isn't that wonderful well thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today Matthew it's been a treat chatting with you
2: likewise Greg it's been a- really cool
0: absolutely and, and I, I want to actually I've got one more question for you here besides how can our listeners get a hold of you and the, it's kind of in that same realm tell us a little bit about your website and what is your website and what do you offer there
2: so our website is livingseedcompany.com, mm-hmm. and you can buy our collections. You can buy our individual packets. We also have a newsletter sign up, and that's kind of where we distribute, you know, information about upcoming events that we might be having, new varieties that we're offering, uh-huh. uh, you know, exciting groups that we work with, who we donate seeds to,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and it's a really nicely laid out, easy to navigate, and it. it you know, we've heard it's a feel-good site, so we're like we we nice. we're really proud of it, and yeah.
0: Perfect. So, uh, for all my listeners out there, um, here's my request. Go to livingseedcompany.com and support Matthew and Astrid. They are doing incredible work out there. Buy some seeds uh, and interact with them, because uh, in my opinion... Growing seeds and saving them and building, you know, building a stronger seed variety set out there is one of the most important things we can be doing out there.
2: Absolutely. Thanks, Greg.
0: Absolutely. So uh, do you have an email address, Matthew?
2: Yes, Matthew at livingseedcompany.com.
0: Great. Thank you so much. And that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast.
1: We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast.